This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcasting every Tuesday morning, 8 to 9, Pacific Time on KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In the past several decades, a globalized media has overwhelmed us with images of an idealized, westernized body and conditioned us to see any exception to that ideal as a problem. As a result, the body has become an object, a site of production and commerce in and of itself. In her new book, Bodies, our guest today, Susie Orbach, reveals the true dimensions of this crisis. Orbach is the co-founder of the Women's Therapy Center in London and New York, the co-originator of the Dove Campaign for Real Beauty, and the author of a number of books, including On Eating, The Impossibility of Sex, and the bestseller, Fat is a Feminist Issue. Susie Orbach, welcome to Weekly Signals. Good morning. How are you doing today? Fine. Fabulous. It's freezing cold, but it's a bright day. Very good. Now, did you just uh, get in from uh, London? Yes, I did. I did. I did. Um, Because... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so are they treating you well in New York? I, put, well, I have a daughter here, and I have a lot of friends. Oh. I lived here for a long time, so I'm pretty much, um, it's, you know, it's a second home for me, thank All goodness. Right. That's wonderful. It's nice, it's nice to go around and promote a book and have a second home at the same time. I Absolutely. All righty. Now, now, in Bodies, was there a particular moment you said that you had to write this book? Did you say, see too many advertisements for Nick, Nip and no, Talk? No, I or? don't think. So uh-huh. I've been wanting to write it for a long time. I just didn't have a form. Uh-huh. And this is actually part of a series called Big Ideas and done in rather short books. Uh-huh. And so when I was approached to do it that way, I thought, okay, this is I could do a very extended essay instead of doing the 600 tomes about the distress I see and all of the issues that I wanted to raise. So I think it's a... It wasn't. A, it wasn't. It wasn't a moment. It was just. Uh, it just worked. Ah, so, so the the form was was just right in putting it in an essay style. Uh, is there a, uh, a a beginning thought that you had about it? Was was there a, a point where there was TV? everything? Yeah. I don't. I, I think it's not honest to say there was a beginning thought. The, the question is, how could I put together what I was observing in relation to my own children uh-huh. and the fact that. At the age of six, my daughter was, and her friends were already performing for the camera, as though they were little Lolitas, right? Uh-huh. That that they were not they were not in a playful nature to the camera. They were. Then I was trying to understand what is the role of visual culture because it seems to be such a an ubiquitous player today, and stories coming out of emerging economies and China about the kinds of body practices that are becoming um, quite commonplace, about transformations that relate to trying to turn oneself into the Western body, and joining up with all the critiques about the food industry, who who, of course, only increase their profits by increasing the amount we spend and the amount of... um, the way they can invent foods or invent food opportunities for us. So there's a whole lot of stuff that was coming together that I wanted to write about in a coherent way. Mm. Now, now, in the book, you know, correct me if I have this wrong, but you're saying pretty much that there's, there's never been a natural body. Yeah, yeah I think ahead. that's really what I wanted to argue, is that we, we tend to think of our bodies as just being 
our DNA, they're unique to us, and they have a blueprint, and they just unfold. And I think any anthropologist would tell one that that's a very silly and stupid concept, because if you had a Chinese baby, ethnically Chinese, raised in... Uh, France, they will uh, they will grow up with the gestures and the movements and the lips and the jawline and everything that's associated with learning French, moving like a French person, right? Mm. So the question then, if you if you think that one through, then the question is, well, how do we actually get a body? I think a psychoanalyst like me is very very steeped in considerations of how we get a mind. That is what we think about. How does a mind become a mind? How does a baby become a human being? How does one mind relate to another mind? And so on. And I wanted to apply that kind of rigor and thinking to how we get a body at this particular moment in history, because bodies are constructed in a certain kind of a way. There is, there is no such thing as a body, right? There is only a body made in culture. Now, what makes this point in time in culture so unique about developing a body? What is it that, that makes us in a crisis situation? Now? Right. Well, I think many, many things press in on this moment. Um, on my email, one of the listservs I'm part of had an extract from my book, and I was amused by it because these people are the transhumanists who believe that the body can be invented in any kind of way that you wish because you can modify this is a fancy, you can modify um, genes in the womb, you should have your imagination do whatever you want it to do. There will be designer drugs that will fix memory so that you don't have to have any hurt or trauma and that kind of thing. So that's at one extreme, is this kind of imaginative, um, engineered, robotized body that is coming to us, right? Yeah. That's one kind of moment. Then there's the whole issue of, of what's going on in cyberspace with the invention of identities and multiple identities that may or may not have to do with your body, but, but certainly have to be represented finely materially. So what kids are doing in terms of hanging out with each other, but nevertheless at the same moment uploading all of those images of the hanging out to Facebook, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Then there's this phenomena of going to the gym to reconstruct bodies and to duplicate the body of the industrial worker, particularly for men yeah. with the muscles, when in fact most of the guys who are doing that are desk workers yeah. or intellectuals. <laughs> so we're in a, in a, in a post-industrial moment in the West. And we've, in a way, what we haven't articulated is what our bodies are for. Because, and so they've become this site for transformation and also, of course, for profit. And it's a body that we're exporting around the world um, as, as the body that allows you to enter into the modern world or modernity. So it's a kind of indication of globalism and where it's extended to, to see what kinds of body difficulties are happening internationally now. So is, are one, of the, is one of the things you're saying here is there, 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 um, there is no body type. There's no body type for Asians, no body type for Europeans. Well, I wouldn't go that far. Okay. I wouldn't go that far, but okay. I would say that the mannerisms, the gait, okay. Okay. Um, even the jaw structure because of the language you use, those are, those are created in the family, and the family is created in culture, right? And the family is the mechanism for 
cultural transmission. So no, of course I can't. <clears throat> what what that what you suggested is even is too absurd. And okay, and, <laughs> no, uh, no, I just uh, so, too but, absurd for me. But I can see how you'd make that conclusion from what I said because. <laughs> but I didn't mean to lead you down that path. Okay, because yeah, because uh, but you are saying that we have we uh, through culture through a culturization we do have a tremendous impact on the way our body uh, uh, manifests the way it evolves in a way absolutely like let's take young women today Um, in the West particularly they're growing up with mums and this is in no way to blame mums but whose whose mother's bodies have been under assault and who are fretting continually about their own physicality so the body that that mother is bringing to that little baby and that little girl is a baby which is already encoded with some instability. That's kind of its default position. Mm-hmm. Right, so the, 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 the baby ingests, because that's how it happens in relationship, is that you take on and then you form yourself. Of course, the mother's psychology, that we know, but it also takes on the mother's hesitancy and fears around the mother's body as well as the mother's directions about that baby's body and as well as what the mother sees about the baby's bodies and appetites and desires. So it's very, it's not that it's modified, there's something there that's modifiable, it's actually more profound than that, it's entirely shaped by that interaction. I I know within my own family, uh, my mom was very, very uh, uh, vain Mm -hmm. woman. and uh, two of my, I have two, uh, three sisters. Two of them have eating disorders. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I mean, just from my own personal, you know, personal. Uh, right, but I, I think that's so normal, right, in a way, because yeah. if you grow up and the adult female is somebody who is preoccupied in yeah. relation to the body, it, it doesn't matter whether logic defies this. You take into yourself the idea that to be a grown up is. And to be a grown-up woman means you have that kind of relation to your body. Mm. That's at one. That's at a cognitive level, but at a more profound emotional level, you have absorbed that distress in in your own body, and you mimic your mom. I mean, that's what you do in the in the making of identity. Mm. Now, how much are you we... better give those sisters of yours my book? <laughs> no, I, I no, I we you know yeah. You're right, and they, they, he needs your book too. Believe yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, it's just one of those. Uh, I, we had we had uh, some people on, uh, or uh, author on a, a couple of years ago. Uh, Stuart Ewan he did a book called Typecasting on the Arts and Science of Human Inequality. Well, that's uh, really interesting because when I wrote a book called Hunger Strike, I used a lot of his work yeah, yeah. on on the whole development of the department store at the turn of the nineteenth uh, century and what that offered cross class in America. And it's, uh, I, so, I presume it's his, the same guy. It is. It is. Yeah. And and I, you're, what we're talking about really is it fits very much into the, what they were conveying in their book on uh, this idea of typecasting, uh-huh. and we're 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 into a. A, a globalized typecasting environment here that and I and it just seems to be very relevant to what you're discussing here. yeah because I, I think well I've definitely got to look at it because I've always liked his or their work yeah. um, but when you live on the other side of the ocean you don't always get what's coming you know it, you, that you have different different um, references but I think the thing about the typecasting is so fascinating because it what I'm arguing in, in bodies particularly for women but increasingly for men is that in a visual, a hypervisual culture, you look for things that 
give you a place and a, and a sense of recognition and identity. And that, in a way, the body has become a brand, and you need to inhabit this kind of a brand that you can signal, not by wearing Armani or Gap, but by by embodying the shape and the look of, of what, what modernity represents today. Right. We're speaking with Susie Arbach. The book is Bodies. Now, now how much of this big lie about bodies is, is uh, our responsibility? How complicit are we in this, and how much do we drive this lie around? Is there something inside our own psyche that's, that's engaging this? Well, absolutely. I mean, how much are we driving it? The point is, human beings are part of society, and the way that you are part of society is to engage with its offerings, right? So this isn't about passivity. It is about forms of engagement, but how do you find a curious or reflective way to engage rather than simply absorb and enact what is offered? And that is our difficulty in a society in which... I think it's more so in the States, even in England, in which consuming and thinking that doing bad for your body is doing good is part of a rhetoric of empowerment and part of the way that you participate. It's, it's, I think it's a very tricky number. So, so just given the fact that we're an image-oriented society is going to make us more likely to just simply absorb information? <laughs> Uh, I think it's a little more complex than that. I okay. think that's one aspect of it. And, and because we have so many images now that they are, in fact, uncountable, right? I yes. mean, nobody in advertising can count the number of images that we see. Um, and that's very interesting. And, and we still don't have any really good brain studies that show what images do to us. But from a psychoanalyst's perspective, I think it's quite um, plausible to argue that what happens is that the the plethora of images create a sense in us of first confusion, then repulsion, then interest, then desire, and then a feeling of inadequacy and a wish to update oneself, if that makes sense. Now, that can be with food. It can be with... um, the latest, you know, it can be with the furniture. But when it comes to the body, when there are industries that are absolutely bent on the rapid transmission of um, body images and creating body insecurity because it's so damn profitable, then one doesn't even have much reflection time. One just feels left out and wishes to partake very fast. Now, is there... Go ahead, Matt. Well, just it it also, I mean... I want to say, just turn our TVs off, and there would be a big... Yeah, but then what do you do when you get into an elevator? I mean, you get into yeah. an elevator in a New York <laughs> hotel, and you are offered images all the time, and they're so interesting. Like, why are they showing me images from the Marx Brothers and then from Armani and then from something else? It's as though you cannot have even four seconds of space, but you have to be placing yourself in a, so that you're, being recogni- you're recognizing yourself by recognizing those images, by knowing that you exist. I mean, it's a very disturbing moment in human history. Yeah. Well, and it's also, there's another thing that, that comes into play here, and that is as we age, we become more concerned about our appearance. And it feeds into, it, 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 it's another marketing opportunity, just the fact that we age. Uh, well, yeah, and, absolutely. And, and and we all see changes in our bodies, and we all want, we there's an impulse to resist. Uh, yeah, this absolutely. But why is there an impulse to resist? I mean, why isn't there an impulse? If we think of Italian mamas, thirty years ago they went into black, right, and they were in mourning at thirty nine. 
So we, it's, it's, it is a cultural phenomenon. It was very interesting. I did a, one of those Q&As. Well, it's not a Q&A, but it comes down as a Q&A for the New York Times magazine last Sunday. And the journalist said to me, how old are you? And I said, as a matter of fact, I'm 62. And she said, oh, my God, nobody will tell me how old they are that she interviews yeah. because it's a disease entity, right? Mm -hmm. There is something so transgressive about being as old as I am, for goodness sake, and not having reconstructed my body. You know, it, so, so the age is, is really relative to the body when people are talking to you and not, not relative to any wisdom or any intellect that you might have developed. Exactly. You know, you know maybe uh, you could help me here. Am I ra over-rationalize this when people ask me my age? I will, <laughs> I will say, uh, I'll tell them, but I said, but I, I, I'm uncomfortable telling you because it often changes your perception of me. Mm -hmm. In other words, just because of it, my age... There are a whole bunch of built-in, to me, there are a whole bunch of built-in um, uh, baggage that comes with that. Right. Is that so just... do you solicit what the fantasy is about what they will tell you if they tell, if, if you were to say? I well, mean, or... well, I tend to work around a lot of people much younger than me. Yeah. And, and so, I, and, 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 off, and I'm just, just, I don't know that it's relevant how old I am. I mean, am I, am I... Am I in that game? I am. I rationalize. Yeah, because I, I think we are. I think we are because I think even my being prepared to say how old I am is being in that game, right? Because yeah. I'm okay. saying I'm refusing the shame, yes. the shame game around this. And yeah, okay, this this take take it right. So I mean, in a way, well, it's 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 not it's not unlike fashion was right. You yeah, have yes. to you have to relate to it. So your adaptation is this. Mine at this moment will be this, right? right? But but yeah, and and I think it is interesting that when people are over a certain age, they actually in our economies tend to have a little bit more money. So it's very interesting that the ideology of aging is that it that it is really, well, it's illegal, really. I mean, that's how I experience it in yeah. the United States. Mm -hmm. yes. This really does, a lot of what, not all, but a lot of what we're talking about comes down to marketing opportunities that we have been commercialized from cradle to grave to mm. such an extent, so pervasively, that this is just, uh, this that we are just marketing opportunities from, from day one to day whatever, aren't we? Yeah, we are. And the thing is, it's not that we, that doesn't interest us, right? right? Because given that that, that is the field, <laughs> we want to play in it. Yeah. So, so how do we create, and how do I, how does one, you know, I see them, of course this won't interest you guys, but I see the, mar the mascara with an automatic twirl in it, right? Now how do I allow the, invitation and excitement of that innovation, my God, human ingenuity has gone into that, right? And then say to myself, wait a minute, or back, what is this? Oh. You know, can you giggle about the way that you have got caught up and being engaged that, that this 16 or $32 item is going to really mean something to you and change your life, oh, right? Yes. How do, so I think what, what the only solution to this is to both surrender to the experience in the moment, but also then to pull back and, and, and chuckle or be outraged at, I mean, on all those things, about what the phenomena does to one. Yeah. So are you satisfied what the mascara did for you? I didn't buy it. <laughs> oh, you did? Okay. But I did love the fact that when I went to buy coffee this morning, uh -huh. 
they did offer me two different lids because I realized that when you walk along drinking coffee, it spills all over. And so he gave me a, a walking lid, which is so much. <laughs> and I thought, okay, is that a really acceptable form of human ingenuity? It probably is. <laughs> oh, boy. We're speaking to Susie Orbach. The book is Bodies. Uh, we're speaking from uh, Southern California, which I got to believe is probably the epicenter of, of bodies. Are, are we looked at that way? Absolutely. I mean, one, well, you are in one way. I mean, you could take, you know, South Korea or somewhere else as another kind of epicenter or mm -hmm. Latin America, South America. But I think what's interesting is I saw a woman um, last week, very, very accomplished um you know, in one of the the professions that our parents would have loved us to have been in. And she said she lived in Southern California for a period of time. And it was perfectly possible for her to manage not eating because that was the norm. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. And, you know, she didn't, she didn't actually, she wasn't out of sync with, the, with other professionals from her class background, her economic station, in simply going to restaurants, ordering a little something, and managing not to eat any of it, because that <laughs> was okay. And it was, you know, it, it wasn't even like they were competing with each other. It was just what it was. Well, there, there's, there's a lot of that around here. Uh, just, just the whole society, especially here where we live near Newport Beach. We are. I was and, just and Laguna say, Beach, yeah. there, there are a lot of people that make uh, a lot of money out of rearranging bodies and, and, and trying to live up to an ideal. You mentioned uh, Latin America as one of the epicenters. Why is that? I don't really understand why. Uh, I mean, I, whether, whether, perhaps one might talk about rapid industrialization or, and deindustrialization happening. Perhaps one might talk about the various changes that have happened on that continent. I don't really know. I, because I'm not an anthropologist, I yeah. don't know. The figures are really uh, so appalling there. Well, just, and it's cross-class, too. I mean, working-class girls, just like in New York, can, can get loans for... Um, body transformations, and in Argentina, it's on your health insurance every two years. Really? I mean, that is so. It is so encoded as a cultural practice there that it's it's no big deal. And you said South Korea. Why? Why did you say that? Because that is what is seen as a moment of empowerment or level playing field or enculturation in a Western way is that parents support their daughters. Um, put inserting in a Western island. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so around so the we world, we have figures of fifty percent of teenage girls. That is not small. And you know, go to. I mean, the 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 the, the nose, um, the, the rhinoplastic surgery uh -huh. um, capital is Tehran, where both under the hijab and not, because men are involved in this, thirty-five thousand uh, rhinoplasties a year. And also, Iran is also the epicenter of, this is a, maybe a different subject, but the uh, epicenter of transgender um, um, changes. Uh, they, since they, uh, they have a uh, cultural uh, taboo on homosexuality, many of these people, through operations, become women. You and mean like Thai ladyboys? Yes. I, <laughs> it, is the, it is the world capital I of transgender operation. I wish you weren't telling me this, honestly, yeah. because it's too bloody painful. But, um, there, there, there is a documentary out about this. It's, if, if it's not out, it will be out soon about this specific subject about 
homosexuals taboo, so they so they become women. They change their bodies. Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah, well, that's well, really fascinating, and I really will. Well, yeah. Okay, well, look into it, and, and uh, we look forward to, to your work on this. Uh, Susie Orbach, we, we've been talking about uh, all the, the negative aspects of what going, uh, what's going on here with bodies. Give us some hope. Is there, is there something we can look forward to in the future and, and, and discard all this nonsense? Well, you mean, can we dare to have our own bodies? Yes. Well, I, that's the question, right? I mean, yes. I, I don't think it's going to happen without political engagement, I, of course. Is it interesting that we now have a president who doesn't look like any other president? Yeah. And is that really, is that going to change things? Absolutely. Oh. There's no doubt that that, that that is going to change public consciousness because an awful lot of people aren't only going to be critical in relation to themselves because they have a very different image to, or set of images to see, right? Mm, yes. So that's important. Look, in London, there's a lot of kamikaze action against the cosmetic surgeons. Um, there's, you know, a lot of work being done to try and bring the diet companies to, to um, book because, after all, if dieting worked, you'd only have to do it once. So, really, they need to be prosecuted under the Trade Descriptions Acts or whatever it is you have in this country. I think there are possibilities, and it would be really wonderful to have bodies and, and decoration of bodies as, as places of pleasure rather than <laughs> sites of anguish and sorrow. But I think it's a bit of a battle, and I don't know that I'm... I'm, I'm I don't think I'm that optimistic that we're winning yet, but hopefully this kind of conversation will contribute to that. Oh, we hope so. Susie Orbach, thanks so much for, uh, for writing Bodies, and, and thanks for being on Weekly Signals today. Thank you so much. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit NathanCallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And this is Weekly Signals.